This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Only Friends Podcast. We are here. We are popping. I missed a doozy yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry sorry to have missed out on the WWE. Should we be the new Vince McMahon of, of the sport? I'm the new Vince McMahon. That's right. You are, you are young, a young Vince McMahon. Um, but I'm kind of glad I wasn't here for it. Honestly, I enjoyed the conversation. I watched it back today. I thought that... You know, it was it was pretty engaging. I think it could have went a lot deeper. Unfortunately, Brent had to get out of here a little, a little early. Uh, he came to talk his shit and dip. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing yeah. wrong with that. No. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, we're we're we have a little bit of technical difficulty with your usual host, mm-hmm. so that's why I opened the show. The host I mean, is with the most. There that's, why, that's why we always keep a sidekick. You know. Nice and close. So I gotta step yeah. up sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. So I could gotta do some work sometimes. sometimes. Sometimes it's on me to actually carry this fucking thing. Yeah. Keep Berkey keep on retainer. Yeah. Is that the right word? Yeah. You we'll, know who we'll we, we do have a retainer every Wednesday? Matt Hunt. Mm. Oh boy, welcome Matt to the Hunt. show. What's poppin', Hunt? They're <laughs> wild. <laughs> <laughs> As we welcome him, our engineer gets up from his station. <laughs> we, we don't have a switcher, but that's okay. Yeah, we, yeah. He's I'm, here in I'm spirit, here. guys. I promise you I'm here, guys. I'm not just a disembodied voice. There he is. <laughs> there we are. There he is. Oh, that shot looks great today. Yeah. Fantastic. Look at you. Matching mm-hmm. the, the background color of the Only Friends pod. Well, you're we fitting go. right in. We're, 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 we're just going to take a, a screenshot of this and usurp you into the... Into the uh, Graphic? graphic behind yeah, you. I think that's yeah, a good that, idea. that's fine. Yeah, I, I would actually mm-hmm. be happy to be. Yeah, we'll just put to you superimpose right, you right over Chin's face. <laughs> <laughs> just have me like like up in the corner, like in just like some creepy way, peeking like, <laughs> in. We gotta get a new picture for that for sure. Yeah. Uh, Said he superimposed me. I heard the old man say, "What the fuck is superimposed me?" <laughs> <laughs> that's an old old school uh, Adam Sandler reference for yeah. the youngins. That I, don't I'm pretty get sure it. you have to be over. 36 to understand that Landon's like what the fuck are you talking about I I am halfway there though I'm like what the fuck are you talking about I'm 35 so like it must be 36 exactly uh, maybe no well I was 12 so you would have been like seven yeah you're probably not listening to Adam Sandler's first comedy no comedy album but man it was so good so good the goat the goat is a legendary actually I think it's his second album second comedy album what was the first one uh the one with Tobooth Willie no that was on that was on this one too. Unless ah, maybe he brought the bit back. Maybe. Maybe maybe he did. Yeah. Yeah. Long time ago. It's old history. It was what the hell happened to me, right? Mm-hmm. That was that was what yeah, I'm talking I th- about. I feel with like the Hanukkah song. Be- I've heard was the Hanukkah song. Yeah. Everybody's heard the Hanukkah right, song. Of course. I mean, yes. you you grew up Jewish, so like Young of course you Jewish heard Jewish man like yourself, of yeah. course. So I've heard you guys that one. Sing? And then I've heard uh John LaJoy's best Christmas song. Like this is the best Christmas song that ever existed. <laughs> It's Taco from the League. You've never heard this song? No. Wow. I watched the League, but I don't... Oh, it's not on the League. It's it not was, on the League. It's just, it's just John, Taco. It's just Taco making this song about Christmas time. Okay. okay yeah, I'd hear it before winter break at school. Right, like, right. Winter high school. Like, yeah. Anyways. Conrad, what's popping? Ain't shit, just chilling. What's popping with you, homie? <laughs> now that I see you got your sidekick next to you. Yep. Connie just got, got back my from the Malay, Malaysian ankle biter next to me today. You know, we're chilling. <laughs> How do you feel? How do you feel about that, Andre? <laughs> At least I'm not sitting over there. Remember what happened last time? What prevents you from just ending him? 
I mean, I could just bite his ankles one day. You should. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm gonna do it. That actually would be the ultimate troll, just knowing, right. yeah. knowing that you could just like submit him in any way that I you know. so choose, but instead you just go right for the Achilles tendon. I mean, and could you imagine nibble. just just seeing the, the bite mark on his ankles? And, just, and Conrad just posted on socials like, "Look what this guy did to me!" <laughs> Malaysian fucking ankle biter. Oh yeah. man, I think I'm going to do that. I, 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 let me know. I'd love to film it. I think uh, this, this is the content that everybody's you. here for. Mm -hmm. Last time I wrestled Conrad, he pulled the I can't breathe card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're choking him out. He's choking me. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a card that you have to pull? Like Normally that's kind of a big deal. It, it, not was, being able to it breathe. was right after all the Ferguson stuff. So it's uh, just I, like, see. You know, I see. It was Very, a card to pull right there. It was a good card. <laughs> uh, honestly, I can't like, breathe. It's funny because Andre will like try to convince me like you should get into BBJ. Like you should come roll. BJJ. Or BJJ. You should come roll with me. Like yada, yada, yada. And I, I watch him like choke Conrad out. And I'm like, I don't want that for me. Right. <laughs> like... I, I, I'm the kind of guy who, like, as a kid when I was in the pool and people would splash me in the face, I'd freak out. And, like, I didn't like that sense of, of you know, losing your, your, your capacities. I don't want to be blacked out or, by or a getting, man half my size. I don't want head. to either. Like, yeah. I don't know if you guys can see, maybe it's not zoomed in enough on Andre, but he's got a cut above his eye. I just said, what, what happened? Did someone just kick you in the head? He goes, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it happens, man. Of course. I mean, you're, you're, you're doing, uh, you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, this is just going to be mouth to ankle. <laughs> so I'm gonna get fucking rabies. <laughs> yeah, you might. I do regret not not like learning uh, some sort of self defense as a kid, like martial arts, kickboxing, something like. That. I mean, I kickbox a little bit with old Art Wiggum. Oh yeah. yeah. Could he, could you imagine? I can just bag. I can just go up to like Vertucci or go up to Nick Airball and just pinch his cheeks. You know, with impunity. What are you gonna do, kid? To, to be clear, to be clear, you could not reach Nick Airball's cheeks. He is a much taller man than I anticipated. As we saw from the Bellagio he a, video, he's a big boy. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's got to be like six three six. I mean, I'm no slouch, and I looked very small. Mm -hmm. He's got me by at least a hundred pounds, uh, maybe more, and certainly three or four inches. And I'm a solid six foot. So it's like he's he's very tall. You you would jump. To pitch. That'd be funny. That actually would be very adorable. <laughs> he like pats you on the head. Uh, speaking of of Airball and the HCL crew, they went live on Joey Ingram today to announce the million dollar cash game, uh, and I guess to clear up some details. So it sounds as though it's going to be one k, two k blinds, minimum buy in of a million dollars. And it's a four-day-long event. I'm not entirely sure, and I'm not sure that they're entirely sure either. These things are so sensitive to the lineups, and uh, you know they're ever-changing. But <clears throat> I'm not sure if it's the same lineup over four days or if they're just planning on rotating people in and out based off of their availability. Uh, the list here is obviously more than nine people, so of course not everyone's going to play all four days. But the confirmation or the confirmed players are Rampage, Airball, Rob Young, uh, Eric Person, Stanley Tang, JR, Chamath, which I would assume he's only going to play like one of the days. There's no way he's taking four days to play. Probably not. Play cash. Uh, Double M, Blank Check Ben, Brandon Steven, Prince Charles, who I'm not familiar with, and then Mickey. Uh, looks like Tony G and Keating are maybes. I think that they're 
in my opinion, probably like extremely low probability of playing. Um, Keating's pretty lineup sensitive. Bit of a uh, he he likes to to build the game, and this looks mostly like what you would see on a Hustler Friday show, just bigger stakes. Um, I guess. Do we the know what the stakes are? One K, two K. One K, two K, and no Annie. Um, so, not sure. Uh, I th I assume based off this, I have to be some sort of anti. Yeah, I assume based off this crew, there will be an anti. Um, but a, a lot of these guys are regular. So double M is a regular, Jr is a regular, Stanley's a regular, uh, Airball, Rampage, and uh, Blank Check Ben. These guys are all regulars. The additions are Mickey, which uh, the million dollar minimum is pretty impressive for Mickey to step up there. I, I think the biggest game he played prior was the one with me, Ivy, Garrett, Dwan, etc. Mm. I think he bought in for 100. I don't remember. I remember he was the biggest winner for like the first five hours. He was mashing. He was up like five. Yeah, but he ended up not winning uh, that session. But uh, that's, a, that's a steep buy-in, uh, although I guess compared to like his back rat, Bayern's probably on par. He probably has some private game experience, and that is true. Yeah, that's true too. Like this, because I'm pretty sure all those private games are pretty big. The, yeah, the private games are. <laughs> <laughs> private games can get a little fucking big. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. Um, I, I think he'll be a fun addition to the show. People always want to see somebody bringing a wheelbarrow of cash and uh, <laughs> see what they can do with it. Yeah, Shamath. Uh, I've never seen him play this big. I've played a bunch with Shamath. I think the biggest we've played is 3-6. Uh, and the deepest I've seen him sit is probably like quarter million. Um, but he plays regularly. So like, I, I assume the money does... Uh, obviously, the money doesn't matter to him. But I just wonder like if there's ever a money factor whenever you're not accustomed to playing that big. Because uh, I know Helmuth spoke a lot about their home game. And they keep it... For, their, for, for them, they keep it quote-unquote friendly mm -hmm. you know it's it's not really a bloodbath it's like one to uh 20 to 50k ish type buy-in type stuff um so i'll be curious to see like how he plays that deep where everybody's that deep um because you know this isn't his his regular thing same thing with stanley uh stanley plays big obviously but i think the deepest i've seen him sit was that last one where uh nick threw a party and he was one of the benefactors seems like a a lot of, and I think this is kind of what you want. There's uh, a lot of the lineup is going to be stepping out of their comfort zone a little. Maybe I mean half the lineup is incredibly I mean, wealthy, right? Yeah, businessmen, right? And then the other half is like hustler regulars. Mm -hmm. So it's just like yeah, Rampage is always stepping out of his comfort right, zone, right? So. Yeah, like what's Rampage <laughs> comfortable doing yeah, at this exactly. point? I mean, uh, I saw him post on his so I wonder how he, he may only be in for one day because I saw him post on his Instagram that he was selling 1.5 million mm -hmm. and was planning on buying on all of it. He also uh, said on Twitter, should he just YOLO it all or sell responsibly? Yeah, all of this sounds like a man <laughs> who's only going to get <laughs> six hours of gameplay. <laughs> I voted sell responsibly. I hope that's what he chooses to do. Very, he, very, he posted up on State Kings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so, I assumed so it was I just a question a meme. for you guys. How interested are you in? How excited does it get to have these? Uh, I mean, if it was on a different platform, it'd probably be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, less. I mean, it's anytime there's that much money on the line, it's interesting. I think. Well, I hope Rampage spends all yeah. the money. That's all. I'm rooting for Rampage and Jr. I have, oh, a, soft JR too. I have a soft spot for Jr. JR I'm not sure why, best. but mm -hmm. he seems he's, like a really nice guy. He's Love such Ray. a good dude. Yeah, he's a good dude. Too. Obviously, we love Rampage, so we hope he does well. 
I think it's all good. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like more exposures, better, higher stakes. It's kind of what we were talking about earlier. It is going to be a little bit hard to go up from there, but at the same time, you're going to start getting some more viewership from the lower end stuff because some of the retention will stay. Yeah. Like Hustler's doing some stuff today. Like Alex has a creator night. Uh, Somehow Mariano found his way in there, which is pretty sick. Uh, But it's a bunch of like very mainstream people that don't play poker professionally at all, but are just playing poker with Alex, playing quarter 50. The lambs being led to the slaughter, if you will. Maybe, maybe they'll like poker and they'll start gambling. Well, I'm just thinking Mariano's going to do pretty well for himself here. (laughs) I'm surprised Mariano's not playing this lineup. Yeah, I didn't see him. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it says more to be announced, so maybe. Um, As far as my interest level goes, I I think that, uh, I I think there are two key points about this that I find to be particularly interesting and uh, deserve a lot of kudos. And it's the the amount of money on the table, obviously. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say kudos. That's that's not necessarily the right word here, especially because um, I, I obviously it's impossible for me not to mention this without mentioning security. You're gonna have <laughs> seven to ten million dollars on the table. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't want to be doing it in an upstart stream, but that's that's just me and that's just my opinion. But uh, that out of the way. The amount of money on the table is very impressive and is a natural draw. But the fact that it's a four-day-long quote-unquote festival to me is what I think is most appealing. Uh, this being a one-off for six hours or however long they're able to keep the stream running the first time around, um, it's, it's a thing. It's a big deal, of course. But it is just that. It's, it's just a one-off, right? Will everybody be buying in for the $1 million? It's not going to be like the it's, it's, Yeah, it's, correct. Uh, it's not staggered. Up. Okay. Um, I heard Vyuski's playing. Vyuski found a way. Playing on the tab. <laughs> that motherfucker got a tab that makes yours look like an absolute joke. Jesus. <laughs> step your tab game up. Yeah, you got to uh, step your tab game up. You're, there's rookie you're, numbers in this racket. You're out here tabbing to play like 2-5. He's don't, out here tabbing uh, to play fucking 1K, 2K. Don't threaten, threaten Conrad with a good time. <laughs> fucking ruin, guys. Um, but yeah, I thought the one of the most compelling aspects of the Poker Go one was not necessarily the buy-in aspect but the the three full days of coverage yeah where you know things were able to build upon one another we were able to see the the progression and the totals carry through mm. do you um, think you'd want to see a side bet of sorts like they did in the poker go on the side bet wasn't interesting to me but what was interesting to me was the the capped loss so to speak um it, it added another like survivor-esque element to it Right, because they're playing so fucking big. Uh, are, are we actually going to see somebody potentially lose three or four million? No, don't get me wrong. If that happened, that in and of itself is a whole other storyline. Mm-hmm. And maybe there are pockets deep enough on this in, in this game where that could potentially be the case. In which case, okay, obviously the angry mob wants blood. We got our pitchforks out. Like, cut this man. You know, like let's see it. Um, but I think Poker Go was sharp in the way of. These guys probably aren't going to be in for multiple millions of dollars, and it protects the game integrity and uh, protects your your player base from being put in really, really awkward situations if they just know coming into the event the fixed cost, right? Because now for Brent, if he has to curate a lineup of six, where it's like, okay, min- minimum buy-in's a million dollars, and if you go broke, you either need to reload for a million or or leave. Well, most people that you find are going to quit, right? And if you have people quitting, the game just 
breaks and falls apart and you know you had this three-day show set up uh which now becomes incredibly problematic so i thought that they did a really smart thing by uh capping it at a million now they got a lot of flack because they called a million dollar cash game and they gave them two 500k bullets okay so maybe the next time then it's a true million dollar cash game where it's capped at two million and you get two one million dollar bullets like and now there's some strategy to that you figure it out you add on whatever uh in any event i thought that that was a really well done structure i think it was well put together now in hustlers um by comparison i guess it seems as though they have a deep enough pool to pull from where if someone goes broke it's not going to matter you just plug someone else right like we know ethan's not reloading Mm -hmm. if he loses 1.5 like he's not going to shake out the couch cushions and find another buy-in. I mean, you never know. <laughs> imagine, imagine he's just like filming himself in the bathroom. He's like, what do you guys think? Should I yell over the second bullet or what? I mean, you know, uh, you never know, man. Uh, you, you really do never know. And I think that that is one of the Eat most of the compelling moment. aspects of it. Uh, there, there's just like so many things that you truly don't know, right? So we have this list, right? Do, do we know who's definitely going to start the game and then who's like on the list that people bust or how does this work? I, I don't think that they... I think today is just name reveal. Yeah, it's name okay. reveal and date. Yeah. So it's May 27th to the 29th. Mm-hmm. So maybe some people will be playing Wait. on one day, some people will be playing on the other day. I thought day. it was supposed to be four days, 27th, 28th, 29th. It's three days, There I you think. go. That's good. That's yeah. only three. I think it's only three days. Okay. I, think it is only three. I thought I read somewhere that it was four. Uh, thinking maybe thinking about it's, our yeah. academy, which is happening at the same time. <laughs> it is actually <laughs> happening at the same time. If you're interested in the MTT Academy, that is going to be... Is it... The 20, 24th, 24th to the 27th. 24th to 27th. Okay, yes. yeah, perfect timing. Mm-hmm. We wrap on the day that they start, so, you know, come brush up on your MTT skills. Hunt's going to walk you through all the finer points of ICM and how to win at final tables, and then you can go watch people punt off a million dollars. Yeah, Or exactly. you could shake out the couch cushions and then fly to a Hustler and play, mm-hmm. maybe play. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Imagine a rando shows up. Like, that. when we say, like, we, you truly don't know what could happen here, that's an option. That's literally an option that like some business guy from New York just flies in, doesn't give anybody any notice, shows up with a million dollars and goes, you got a seat. I'm still very surprised at how uh, flippantly we throw around numbers like millions of dollars. Like it's just a very normal thing to happen Mm -hmm. every single day. I think from the professional side, we we throw it around flippantly because it's never fully ours. Nobody in this industry or very few people in this industry uh, have built up such wealth through strictly playing poker that they can sit down with a million dollars comfortably, lose it, and still just like be able to 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 play, right? So we yeah. we lay off risk the same way you would if you were starting a startup and you had a partner or an angel investor or whatever the case may be. Like that's just how business works. And then from the businessman side, it's like it's sub one percent of their worth, which we're accustomed to sitting with. You think all this the is time. kind of why nowadays when it comes to higher stakes poker, like back in the day, people had less of an idea of how action selling works yeah. mm-hmm. and nowadays the people are very was, aware of yeah. selling action you think it makes it better worse worse way worse all of those guys were uh heroic to the to the population because it was just believed that they were playing with their own money winning their own money staking their own money all that other stuff and it's just like you know in hindsight we know better um we know that the corporation was funded by dozens upon dozens if not hundreds of poker players throughout all of las vegas to go beat andy bill like it wasn't ivy's it may have been ivy's net worth but you know that got him x percent of the overall corporation right Mm -hmm. uh we know that like even though it was probably the biggest ev spot in poker history when guy libert was losing millions on high stakes poker uh it's it's pretty unlikely 
that the people he was playing against had 100% of themselves, right? And maybe, maybe that's not true because they were getting paid a really high hourly to be there. So maybe that compensated for some. And maybe, you know, because it was the early 2000s, there was a little bit more of the rampage mentality of like, let's YOLO. I would wager though that like when Galfon first sat at high stakes poker, he probably laid off a little bit of risk. Which is completely normal and a reasonable thing to do. But back in the day, it was always, okay, this is your money, you play. And everybody was kind of giga rich. Yeah, and mm -hmm. also, you know, Pride and TV amplified things. It's like, we're just a lot smarter now. It's been 20 years. We've seen all of the tragedies and, and the rises and falls of people who were very talented, but just had no idea how to actually properly manage money. It's also true that, that didn't, Am I right in saying the players on high stakes poker back in the day, they actually got paid an hourly as well? Yeah, it was, it was very high. I, I, I think they were getting 1K per hour. Right. I heard something like that. Yeah. I think it was you who told me. But yeah, yeah. They, they, if you're getting paid an hourly to play, the, the variance is at least partially already offset. So right. like, it's, it's, definitely, you know, it's definitely a different equation compared to now. Right. Getting paid two and a half big blinds per hour right. across the table <laughs> and yeah. having a giga whale there. It really does reduce a lot of the risk. It's or like four gigawales, like half of high stakes poker season four or whatever it probably was. Yeah. It's a tough thing when you want to kind of believe in the dream, but also be attuned to reality, you know, because you can't have yeah. both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they both can't coexist. Yeah, and I, I wonder like how much of a service or disservice like platforms like ours do by kind of peeling back the curtain. When, when I started Solve for Y in 2016, a big, big, big driving force behind it was that there was nothing in the industry that kind of uh revealed the come up the struggle what goes on behind the scenes the business aspect of of this game like all of the things that were necessary in order to be um a successful poker player right to sustain that yeah to be sustainable right and like that was kind of the the underlying premise of all that and and from that kind of came this notion of like okay well what if we could package that in, uh, in an entertaining way, right? So it wasn't just solely like, I'm going to create uh, an outlet to expose people to what my strategy is and hope that they can do better for themselves than I've done for myself moving forward. That was part of it. But like the deeper notion behind it was more so just like root cause analysis of like, okay, well, if we can start to attach meaning to the decisions that we make when we're studying, when we're playing and all these other things, everybody will start to think better, right? So that's the strategy side of it. The packaging side of it was like, now what if we can bundle all of that in a peel back the curtain kind of way where we expose what it's like to actually be a professional, what it's like to start a business, what it's like to uh, operate in a manner that's responsible, that uh, allows you to go through the ups and downs, the struggles, the windfalls, and, and everything in between. And... At the time, that felt like so fresh and smart and uh, maybe not smart, but like um, engaging, right? Like when you look at other industries, sports, WWE, whatever, like the, the behind the scenes stuff is so fascinating to someone like me. But now I look back on it, it's like maybe that was, maybe that was the, the crucial mistake. Maybe that was the critical error was ever putting yourself out in the open like that and kind of exposing to the public like none of us are who you believe us to be right none of us are as rich as you think none of us are as poor as you think none of us are as irresponsible as you think 
the punting that takes place is happening at a very small scale. Oftentimes it's strategic. What you see on TV is not what you get over a large sample. Uh, you know, so much of this is theatrics and uh, more importantly, just capitalizing on really great opportunities by being inclusive and utilizing your network to both get the opportunities and then to capitalize on them. And it just seems like the audience doesn't actually want to fucking know, man. Yeah, I think you're right because it, it sounds a lot like whatever the time period was when people collectively realized that pro wrestling was scripted. Right. You know, it sounds like now that you know it's scripted, you have to look at it differently. You can still enjoy it, but you it's not the 80s where everybody thinks it's real and they think these people are like real characters. Correct. You know I mean? Yeah. Wow, what a, what a transition to WWE again. This keeps coming up. <laughs> right. I actually have a conspiracy theory, guys. Okay. okay. Um, I think we're going to see a WrestleMania moment on HCL. I think someone's going to get felted really early. Mickey. Um, <laughs> and we're going to see Garrett Adelstein coming in with his million bucks. Oh my! I thought you were going to say we'd see Bro. Garrett come in with a steel chair and hit something. <laughs> honestly, it's the same. Honestly, it's literally the same thing at that point. <laughs> imagine, Wait. imagine like uh, the, uh, the Undertaker comes up from the coffin. No, I know, I know that this is going to be like not uh, a well-caught reference because you have to be a WWE nerd. But like, imagine that Garrett is just decked out in a full suit, carrying a metal briefcase, like, <laughs> like fucking. Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man, just comes strutting up to the table, slams it God, down. Let's go. Yep. He's takes like, the seat and like just Mike like Mike McDee, he's like, I got one million dollars and I'm looking for a game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, uh, for Garrett's sake and for the sake of the integrity of the game, I hope that doesn't happen. But from a fan standpoint God. of just oh, like sheer awesome. entertainment, so awesome. if this has all been a work the whole time, we're right. like behind the scenes. Yeah. Vertucci and him are talking. Mm -hmm. Vertucci's like, I'm going to bash you for like yep. four weeks. I'm going to say you're banned. I'm going to say you're not banned. Yep. I'm going to say right. you may or may mm -hmm. not come back. We didn't officially do anything. Yeah. And he's back. Yeah, yeah. And then and like... Then midway through the and stream, then, they just like play his entrance music. And the entrance music is so bad. Yeah. What's his theme song? I, I Honestly, I don't know. Half the players just rack up immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like him. And, all, it's like, like him and, I didn't sign up for this shit. Somehow, like him and Nick, him and Airball are just like nose to nose, and yeah. Blank Check Ben's like like Airball's manager, just like barking at Garrett from the side. See, now this is a wonderful idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, the memes go ahead, are. Ashley, go ahead, you can if, have that one. If, if poker were a movie, it. this is yep. this is how it would play Why out. Why can't it be? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I've written rounders too at least four different times throughout these mm -hmm. podcasts. So compliment if you're listening. Right. Let's let's workshop this you know there is a poker movie coming out is there yeah it's called dreamers oh um, that's right there is a documentary coming out documentary conrad nice messed up yesterday and didn't remember to mention this so now he's bringing it up that was good that was really good that was it was more segue. important to mention yesterday because jeff's like one of the features on it but you know whatever yeah. fuck, fuck that guy fuck jeff man he's not even like five foot tall man why do you hate on jeff like this wow. you gotta you're think about small people man. i love jeff yeah you, you know you're not that tall right <laughs> What? You know you're not that tall, right? Can you right? cut the camera back to me? Look at me and look at Andre. <laughs> you're sitting on a stool. Look at me and look at Andre. There's See, a big per perce there. perception mm -hmm. is not reality. Right. <laughs> right. It's a great way, great way to put it. Um, any other, any other conspiracies of of what we can expect from this million dollar game? It depends how far you want to go into conspiracies about the legality or the. <laughs> and then Robbie comes back. <laughs> well, Robbie, I'll, I'll give you guys ten minutes to tangent on it. <laughs> Um, I, I think that, I, I mean, honestly, I think that the, okay. the, the biggest conspiracy that I would have to this is that it's just 
straight boring. That like nothing happens. Uh, and I think that that's a possibility whenever you start playing stakes this large with this amount of money yeah. where it's clear at least some portion of the lineup only has that single bullet. I, I think people like want to believe that whenever uh, players are, are, are like uh, monetarily stuck in a situation that it creates for more action and more like great moments. I think the exact opposite, mm-hmm. right? When people are truly scared money, like terrified money, those VPIBs aren't in the 30s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, like, right. Uh, there will be some big dicking and, and some, like, you know, dick waving where uh, people are going to be like, I play 1K, 2K, and still VPIP 50%. But it's like, they're going to get beat up pretty fucking hard in the first, you know, few minutes or whatever and stop. The, yeah. Man, the more that, like, you really think about the entertainment aspect is that poker's buildup for this stuff in the gameplay is so boring and potentially not possible yeah right let's like garrett comes in it's like oh shit like here comes robbie from the top rope right like <laughs> all you see is like them sit down at the same table and maybe play some hands together you know mm-hmm. yeah. it's not action it's not drama right. the only way you can kind of get at somebody is through wit that, that was the pushback i was hoping you guys were going to give jeff yesterday whenever he was saying uh the comparison between the heads up match and wwe yeah, I just didn't think where, of it. where he's right. like oh there's this massive build-up but like imagine on wrestlemania as they get to the to the main card they just cut the cameras it's like well, yeah, but that's an action sport. Like you're, the 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 actual match itself is just a chore- choreographed dance. We only care because it has an outcome, mm-hmm. right? It's just silence right? with back and forth of hands going. Right, around. like yeah, I mean, it, it would be funny. Like yeah, you put put yourself in that situation where like the build up is, and then you guys are streaming, and then we watch you just raise just a raisin fold for like three hours. And yeah, it's just like anybody who's ever watched Heads Up, what are we doing here? Poker, it's boring I, as fuck. I've Trust me, I sat through a hundred yeah. hours of D nights. I did commentary with Joey with Doug. You uh, fell asleep. I literally <laughs> fell asleep a couple times because I was very tired. You know, three hour long sessions of just back and forth. Yeah, I mean, raise fold. What's going on here? I don't know. You know, some I mean, stuff's guess, going on. And- I guess it would be more the your guys' interaction with each other. But there is there, none. There is none, but maybe there if it was on stream, isn't. there would be. Right. I, I mean, know. he'd right. just talk, and I would still sit there and not talk to him. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. like this guy. Here's here's a solution, guys. I think I figured it out. I think we have to just actually script it. I think we just have to have scripted poker. We okay. Prahlad is, is losing his mind right now. <laughs> just do pro wrestling, but in poker. Just mm. I, Everybody accept that it's scripted. We'll just do a bunch of fake hands, do a whole stream where we pretend that people are losing a million dollars. And people will just enjoy it. You realize it, this is this is literally a conspiracy of some <laughs> small corner of the internet led by Prahlad Freeman. They truly believe that televised poker is 100% the WWE and it's all scripted. Oh, wow. Really? I did not know I that. I didn't know that either. Oh, that he's is, been floating think... this conspiracy since Hustler. Since, really? since the Jack Forehand. That is insanely dumb. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he's played on televised games. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does he think that they just left him out? Yeah, the reason, the reason why my idea of scripting it is a complete joke and it's a stupid idea is because it's so impossible to do that. How many people would have to be involved? How right. how, how much of a scale would that conspiracy mm-hmm. have to have? I, I mean, think it would be amazing if it was known as like a parody skit, but you get the people involved involved. Where it's like you make it like a skit of an a million dollar cash game and then they have people playing. It's like, oh shit, who's that coming in? And then you get Garrett coming in, you get Robbie coming in, you have like scripted hands, beef, you know? Yeah. You, this is make, what I'm you make like, it fun, but people know it's a parody. This is right. what I'm saying. Like, right. make it like wrestling. Yeah. Everybody knows wrestling is fake or wrestling is scripted or whatever. People mm-hmm. still watch wrestling. It's still fun to enjoy. Like, yeah. you can still enjoy poker. It's, if it's the scripted, good drama. You know? It's the drama right. that we want. It's exactly. the reality you couldn't, TV yeah, you, show. Yeah, you couldn't like hide the fact that it is because there's too many people involved. Like, right. people say that like, the NFL is rigged and it's 
it's scripted. It's like, no, it's not. Like that shit would have got out mm -hmm. already if it was. Exactly. Too many, uh, you know, uh, moving gotta, pieces. I, I have to tell you, uh, big for Steelers. That that is like the. <laughs> No, but that that is like the the theorem that we all go off of is that conspiracy theories are generally false because so many people would have to be kept under wraps. Mm -hmm. But I got to tell you, man, uh, and maybe this doesn't apply to like poker or the NFL or anything else, but when you have massively powerful entities, uh, like let's call it the government or whatever, I don't know, man. I think that they can keep <laughs> shit quiet. <laughs> I just really think that whenever they look at you in the face and go, your life depends well, yeah, on keeping when this the, when secret. The, when the threat of death is there, then right. yes, people tend to keep their mouth shut. Yeah, like yeah. I don't think it's going to work at the poker level. I agree. <laughs> right. But also, like I know yeah. that there's a dozen scammers within this industry that not one so you, single person is ever fucking out. So you think the moon, the moon landing's a, 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 a fake? I don't. I, I truly. I. I, I would. I, I know that if I started to go down uh, the conspiracy can, route, can, yeah. that can of worms. if I started to go down conspiracy theory routes, I know that I would just get sucked the fuck in. Yeah. And then I would have to like really claw my way back out. Well, they're fun because it's like, you know, if you're watching like some sort of documentary, like they're going to spin it to make you of course, start of to course. believe. Super and you're like, biased. Man, and, and then your mind starts working. There's like, so many conspiracies. I mean, one of them's got to be true, right? Of course. Just, <laughs> I mean, of course. Probability of Think of it this way. Like, we always say, like, oh, that shit would have got out. You know how many people would have to keep a secret? Yada, yada, yada. It's like, Ollie and Jake were cheating right in front of our face for two and a half years. The whole high stakes community knew about it. Yeah. Nobody said a fucking word. Mm -hmm. it, it was the best kept secret in poker for no good reason. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's just like, imagine that at scale where there's actual incentive to keep the secret. Right? Yeah, that's true. Seems reasonable. Maybe we never made it to the moon. Who fucking what, knows? What, what is a conspiracy and what is a conspiracy theory? You know? <laughs> There's a line there. This is this is a weird route to go down, considering you brought me on here to talk about river bluffing. <laughs> well, we're, we're getting to it. Uh, yeah, that doesn't seem like a good time to get into this. Uh, so there was some back and forth between uh, Gelfond and Polk. Uh, this was maybe three days ago, I suppose. Uh, you know, Gelfond's been doing uh, a lot of the the Twitter threads and engagement farming, and honestly, like I, I think he truly does it from a point of offering value, which. I think is a lot more commendable than uh, just shit posting and doing so in a 12 part thread. Um, but you know, that's no surprise. Phil's obviously good at what he does and we have a lot of respect for that. Uh, but he put this thread out, or I guess it wasn't a thread. It was just a tweet. He said, I'm at the bottom of my range. So I have to bluff quote unquote, are you playing Linus love or Barry sweet heads up? No, then you don't have to bluff. You should only bluff if you think it's more profitable than checking and losing. It's really that simple. Um, and to qualify that a little bit more, what he's really saying is like in soft environments, you should only pull the trigger with bluffs if they're plus EV because you're offered so many, uh, plus EV spots in, in the live environment and, uh, everybody's so far off of balance that it's rarely going, you're rarely going to find yourself in a zero EV spot, basically. That's, that's my interpretation of it, right? So checking in this instance, always going to be zero EV because you're going to lose the pot, but you're investing zero dollars, right? Uh, the, these are the rare zero EV spots that you find yourself in, and usually they're juxtaposed against either a plus EV decision or negative EV decision. Rarely, you're going to be in a true mix where it's like, well, if I check at zero EV, if I bet at zero EV, uh, you know, I'm just going to randomize and do this because mm -hmm. players just aren't strong enough, right? Um, Doug replied to this. I have to find it. I should have had this up. Uh, here, and he said, just bad advice. Force yourself to bluff optimally and take what's yours. If they call, that's fine. Print EV. 
Normalizing giving up is how you become a weak losing player. Suck it up and fire that final bullet. And I guess to defend this stance a bit too, um, this kind of doubles down on what we talk about often where when people are introduced to this game, it's very, very, very rare that they actually learn the bluffing side of the game tree prior to becoming pretty pretty competent at poker, right? Everybody learns the game through the lens of value. So when you first pick up the game, you learn what beats what in rank order. And then from there, you start to get a feel or a sense of how your opponents value their hands on certain textures versus how you value yours and where middle pair ranks in accordance to uh, being able to call bets versus top pair versus top pair, good kicker, bad kicker, et cetera, right? So you start to create this kind of template in your mind as far as like what qualities to the hand allow it to have X amount of value to it, right? And what, what, what Doug is basically saying is all of that's bullshit. The only way to really rank a hand is based off of its equity. And if you understand the equity of a hand and the properties that allow it to be high, medium, or low, then you'll, you'll be able to optimally figure out how to approach each spot. And if you're ignoring that, then you're imbalanced and you're super exploitable. Basically, if you're ignoring the equity of a hand and the properties of the hand that allow it to either value better bluff, then you're going to be strictly passive whenever you have nothing and strictly aggressive when you have good hands. And sure, there'll be a gradient scale to that because you're going to have a lot of middling stuff, but you're just going to trend passive in general because you don't really understand how to pull these triggers. So I think both of them have really valid points, but they're kind of two ships passing in the night, mm -hmm. right? They're both on two, two extremes, and maybe that's not even the case because I don't think Phil's point was meant to be extreme, right? Yeah. It, it was meant to be, uh, if you feel like the spot is close, but you have more information, take the more information and utilize it. Where yeah. Doug is coming strictly from a game theory standpoint. Good. Yeah, it, uh, the way I read it was it feels like they are talking about two different scenarios in that Phil is talking about if you are in a spot where you're pretty confident that it's a spot where the bluff is break even or possibly even losing or for whatever reason you're pretty confident that it's not a great bluffing spot but you're up against an opponent who you you're wondering whether do i need to take this spot even though it's not a good spot just to make sure that they know that i'm capable of having bluffs here so phil is looking at it from the premise that you have an understanding of whether or not this is a profitable bluff spot in the first place or a profitable check spot Whereas Doug seems to be looking at it from the perspective of if you don't know, then now is when you need to understand what's a theoretically good bluff and therefore you make the bluffs. So Phil is talking about spots where you... Phil is basically talking exploitatively and Doug is talking theoretically. Right. And it, you're, I think you're right that they're like passing across each other because, or talking past each other because they're, they seem to be making different points. Neither one of them is, is necessarily wrong. And I definitely think Doug saying it's bad advice is like misunderstanding the point that Phil's trying to make. I think in this instance, uh, <clears throat> both points are valid, but for the blanket aggregate statement, it's easier to follow Doug's advice mm -hmm. than Phil's. Yeah. Because Doug's advice is saying, okay, you have to be theoretically balanced. It allows you to not 
fall victim to your own biases and your own instinct. Because mm-hmm. most of the time, for most people, as seen time and time again, people are too passive. So if you feel like you're not going to want to bluff, you won't. Right. Whether that's, lean that whether way. that's yeah. true mm-hmm. or not. But if you're on the ag and you're starting to learn the game from the sense of how the game works in itself, it's definitely easier to try to learn from the balance perspective mm-hmm. than the, I feel like this won't work. Yeah, absolutely. And after a big enough sample and time, you can then start to wade into the waters of the exploitative realm of knowing what you have seen in the past, this could or could not be a profitable spot. Mm-hmm. But that's for a lot longer down the line once mm-hmm. you have the baselines figured out, because most people don't even have the baseline figured out. Yeah, yeah. It, it struck me as Phil was trying to kind of reassure people that if you're up against if you're not up against elite level players you don't have to worry that your lack of bluffs in that spot or you, you not taking that particular bluff spot is somehow going to come back to haunt you later on um and i definitely think doug's point about most people not being aggressive enough by nature is very accurate uh, but it just seems like if you if you are good enough that you know whether or not a bluff is a good bluff or a bad bluff as is the premise of Phil's tweet, then it presupposes that you already are at the point where you have a good understanding of what's theoretically correct in a certain spot. So the two, the two circumstances are independent of each other. I'll seems. take it one step further. Uh, I think that what's, what's at the core here of this discussion, I suppose, is that Doug is speaking from a theoretical uh, stance. and From Nash. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, in a vacuum, right? So basically, he's coming from the standpoint of like what this looks like in the lab. And I think Phil is coming from the standpoint of, even though it's not quantified, I think he's coming from the standpoint of mass data analysis, right? So even though in Phil's corner, uh, we don't actually have the data for live, um, there's just like observational stuff that becomes pretty reliable, even though it's easy from Doug's camp to just like say, well, that's just your own personal bias. It's like, yeah, fine. You could say that. But um, at some point, I guess like I lean a little bit into Phil's uh, messaging in the sense of like, we, we can trust that to some degree, but it does come with the underlying aspect of you're already where Doug is at saying, if you know a bluff is a bluff, you have to at least be capable of pulling that trigger, right? And I think that the, the nuance here is that what people don't understand about live poker, and I know that like, not everyone agrees with me on this, but like, we're actually getting to a point where we have at least small samples having you know, scraped some data on, on live games uh, off of streams and whatnot, that it just becomes fundamentally true. People front load their, their aggression with equity. So ultimately, when they land at the river uh, in a passive way, they're just really nutted, right? Um, just like when they land at the river in a, uh, in a triple spot, they're also like generally pretty nutted. And the reason for this is because they don't understand how to navigate that, that medium-low portion of their equity distribution. So it often just trends passive, period, right? And it falls off early and often. There are some theoretical decisions that you make in certain spots with portions of range that do not feel good in the moment, right? Where you're betting a hand, you're like, I'm not really sure I should bet this or I shouldn't, you know, or I might, if I bet bet this hand on the turn, I have a bluff on the river. And it's easier to find a reason to make yourself not pull those triggers when you already operate from the fear-based standpoint. Well, Mm -hmm. when when we're talking about live poker in general, we're talking about 
over the aggregate weak players right weaker than online players less studied players if we really want to qualify it right so we're talking about players that are less studied and uh less studied specifically to um equilibrium or what we would see in a vacuum right well this is the kind versus unkind environment yeah to some degree right so there's a lot of randomness and chaos taking place in the live realm and when you add that in what ultimately we're looking at here is phil and doug looking at the exact same sim where phil's is locked for his opponent playing all of his high equity hands aggressively and all of his medium and low equity hands passively and doug's is just balanced right and what, what you ultimately see is that uh, the, the, the point in, of indifference will converge at different stages, right? So in Doug's balanced sim where people were playing close to Nash, you arrive at River and there are enough hands to target when you're bluffing that they have auto folds and you know there are enough hands of showdown value that like, can't call bets. So your bluff breaks even and then your value starts to make more money right but in phil sim where it's like just locked that your opposition folds out their medium strength hands and their low equity hands facing barrels on flop and turn too frequently they don't get to the river wide enough so now his point of you don't print ev pot bluffing river when they're 65 percent likely to call becomes really valid because what happens is they have a concentrated range now on the river that is not as wide as you perceive it to be in theory and when that's the case, now your bluff that's supposed to break even is getting fucking torched. Well, yeah. therein lies the issue of the conversation is what wins the most? Where if somebody operates under the same point of pile solver, no matter what circumstance, wins the most over a long period of time, you're going to follow the machine to a T. But once you start having that uh, perception of maybe there is ways that you can do better than Nash with extra info, now you start making the not. It's not doing better than Nash. It's understanding that Nash has moved. Because if you follow the script of the sim on the flop and the turn, you've now printed money, like endless money, with hands that were supposed to be like close to break even, right? But now when you carry that forward to the river, there's a compounding effect where like all of those hands that made money on previous streets have to give up because now they're losing money if you continue to funnel money in. Right? They have that one portion of the range that they're... Correct. That, that you, they're going to continue with this very strong. Yeah. You can't make money everywhere. You can't make yeah, money exactly, every street. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to, to make money due to overfolds on flop, turn, and river. Yeah. Right? Like, at some point, you reach a convergence where they just have calls. Or at some point, one of your hypotheses is wrong, and they don't overfold one street, but overfold the others. Yeah. And mm -hmm. the issue is just, you're never going to have perfect ideas as to where you're finding the correct is is not folding enough or aggressing back enough but through enough data and sometimes it's personal uh, observations sometimes it's group observations or the, the the data scraping like you're talking about for some of these things some of these initial thoughts are actually true in practice right but not if you're loading up a trainer sim playing button big blind three by pot 100 right mm -hmm. You're, you're playing a perfect machine. So I guess that therein lies the question, right? If you're a newer player who's trying to take on study and you fire up Twitter one day and you see... Like, oh, another great day on the internet. <laughs> and you see two of, two of the major figureheads in this space who both own training sites that are attempting to make everybody get better, having this sort of debate back and forth 
and lacking the nuance that Twitter lacks, what, what, what do you do? Like, how do you, as a new player, approach this situation if you recognize that in practice, people do not play according to the sim? But in theory, that also means that you as the new player does not play according to the sim. And it seems pretty important to have those chops. I think that it's more sound advice on the aggregate to try to learn from the Doug standpoint of learn theory, get your baselines, and then start adjusting versus try to find the adjustments on the fly. Unless you have somebody that is willing to hold your hand through that and trial and error talk to you about how poker works from their perspective. But at the same time, you have to come to your own conclusions. And you can start by looking at what a perfect kind environment is, and then you can extrapolate to unkind, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I think the, the hardest part of all of it is that because we're talking about river situations, river situations are incredibly sensitive to the conditions that existed on the previous streets. Right. So if you suddenly you're looking at the same spot, but you're looking at a situation where somebody used a crazy big preflop size, or they used some weird flop bet size that's a long way away from what they should do. Suddenly it throws every variable off and you now get to a river spot where the principles that should theoretically be in operation about how each player is gonna try to keep the other one indifferent and the bluffs are supposed to break even and things like that, a, a lot of stuff starts to fall away. And if you, if you start working with node-locked sims, if you start looking at what happens to the sim when you lock a player into doing a certain thing on an earlier street that's way far away from optimal, you get some very, very weird results. And the, um, the adaptations are not intuitive even for people who have a very strong understanding of theory. So I think the, the understanding of theory has to come first, but you also have to do it you have to kind of preface that or, or approach it from the perspective that we're learning theory. We're, we're like learning the rules so that we can learn how to break them. You know, we're, we're not learning it to replicate it. I think that the, call it higher end, last 5% was kind of proven when we've talked to some high stakes players on uh, other sites saying that the biggest winners in the game probably aren't using the RTA tools, mm -hmm. right? Like Wizard is just printing its win rate and you let it go. But the best are clearly doing something fundamentally different. The highest win rates come from Phil's side of things, but mm -hmm. the more consistent learning strategy comes from the Wizard side of things, if that uh, makes sense. I'll offer a bit of a compromise, I guess, with what I would do if I were new and trying to learn. Personally, the biggest eye-opening experience that I had in uh, beginning to work with solvers was seeing reactions. It's so much less about the actual strategy as it's meant to be played in the vacuum and so much more about being able to marry your intuition together with uh, what the theory is suggesting. So what I mean by this is maybe we don't have perfect data on how the pool is exploitable, but we have ideas both in ourself and uh, like using ourselves as the barometer and then looking around and measuring up, you know, our opposition skill set against ours. We can use that when studying to kind of understand where reactions fail, right? So in other words, if you're looking at like, let's say a button versus big blind spot and you give a board texture of call it, um, you know, 1085, something along those lines. And you look at the check C bet node and now look at the big blinds response and you start to parse through what the check raises are supposed to look like the second you can be honest with yourself and say i don't check raise these hands 
you can then start to look around to your peers and say, well, who in this environment does, right? And when you start to conclude that few, if any, actually find these low frequency spots, or maybe in some instances, these high frequency check raises, because, you know, we some just hands don't. Are just pure check raises, right, and they don't find Right. Them. And we just don't get check raised enough in real time, right? Then we can start to make some pretty clear conclusions about how bluffing works practically. And it's like, number one, it's not utilized enough in my environment. So this is something I'm interested in studying further. And then number two, it's not intuitive. It's not as simple as just having Jack nine on 1085, right? Like that can't be our quote unquote bluff. There are a lot of places we need to pull from. And now if you really start to study that reaction and you start to segment where these bluffs are coming from, you'll start to see it break down the board in a certain way, right? You'll start to see hands that like wrap the 10 and provide you some like straight draw equity. You'll start to see some hands that wrap the eight and again, provide you like some straight draw equity, right? So maybe you're choosing a hand like, um, like six, seven or, uh, you know, whatever the gut shot, is. I guess there wouldn't be one on, on this texture necessarily, maybe six, four, something like that. Hands that utilize the five because they block bottom set. These are principles that you can all extract simply by looking at the reaction for something that's not actually taking place in your environment. And now you can begin to understand how bluffing actually works. That to me is the most critical principle to pull away from this. It's not to actually go out there and start finding the ace five check raise on this particular texture because it's not necessary. And that's mm -hmm. Phil's point, yeah. right? You don't need to do it because everybody else is playing so face up that all you're doing is value cutting yourself in most instances. Yeah, here's another thing that I think is also an interesting part of this. It's that from coaching, I've found that a lot of people are, I guess, lacking confidence in their instincts about what their player pool is doing. Mm -hmm. So like, you'll say something like, well, the people in your pool are not check raising enough. And they'll be like, well, well how, do you, how do you know that? And it's like, well, look at, look at the stuff they're supposed to check raise in this spot. How often have you seen them show down one of these hands right. after check raising? And sometimes it takes a lot of experience and time for a player to really gain enough confidence in what their player pool is doing that they really lose that monsters under the bed kind of feeling of they know how to exploit me, right? And I think this, this is true with Rivers as well. I think that to a certain degree, players have to go through a certain number of iterations in a certain player pool before they reach the point where they really understand that if you pull triggers in the right spots, you will get folds. And if you construct your lines on earlier streets and pick the right hands, you will get folds. And there's certainly a, a long period that I think players go through where they, they start to feel like nobody folds. You know, I'm not going to bluff because nobody folds. And you have to overcome that hump of like, you have to actually take the spots or find ways to engineer the spots so that you can gather information from experience of actually seeing your opponents fold just to prove to yourself that they do actually fold those spots. I, th I think it's also, I, I agree with you. Uh, I also think it's a byproduct of the way that people are learning and the way people are being coached. Mm -hmm. uh, it's always a me centric, like the world revolves around me type of, of lens. So if uh, somebody wants to get better at, uh, you know, button versus big blind, very rarely do they look at big blind defense. Mm -hmm. They're going to start by looking at the button sim and how they're supposed to approach c-betting, 
how they're supposed to approach handling check raises, double barreling, and all these other things, right? And it's easy to lie to yourself when you're looking through the uh, offensive lens. It's easy to look at the C-bet strategy and say, like, on King-10-5, I check back enough King-X. <laughs> you know, on King-10-5, I C-bet enough of my uh, open-enders or 10-X or, or whatever, you know, middling frequency type of things you know, uh, will we'll show up in the sim. It's easy to say, like, I have C-bet this hand before, mm -hmm. or I have checked back this hand quality or, or a hand class before, right? When you look at the response, though, and somebody challenges you and says, like, okay, let's look at the, uh, the, the, the big blinds check raising frequency. Here it's 20%. Do you think your check raising is 20%? That means nothing to somebody who's unstudied. Right. They have no concept of what 20% is. So it's easy to just say, like, yeah, I check raise, right? It's like, okay, well, let's actually go through the hands and the hand classes that prefer to check raise here and you start to point out the individual candidates and say when was the last time you check raised on this board facing a button c bet and they just will respond with well they they don't fold why would i check raise that hand right mm -hmm. so now it becomes a lot of copium and a lot <laughs> of having to deal with the fact that you know there is a bit of imposter syndrome setting in i don't actually execute these strategies that uh, I believe myself to and how could I because I'm operating off the assumption that I intuitively just knew just by being introduced to the game over a few hundred hour sample I would just intuitively know how to approach all of these nodes when it comes to being aggressive or passive right they just lack that it's 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 just like I always compare it to the gym analogy people like to believe that we just know how to lift weights somehow like you're just born to know how to get strong and that all you have to do is buy a gym membership, show up and walk through the doors. Like you walk through the doors one day, you're like, I'm a young, healthy individual. I'm going to fucking get yoked. I'm here <laughs> to put on muscle mass and just lift all the weights in the gym. Hi. And then you walk in and it's just this massive room full of meatheads and tons <laughs> and tons and tons of weight with machines that you've never seen before. And you think to yourself, I don't know where to fucking begin. And I don't know what the motions actually look like. Brian and I, the first time we walked into the gym, laid face down on a hack squat and started <laughs> humping it. We're literally humping a hack squat, going, yeah, this is calf machine, baby. Yeah, bro, mm -hmm. let him cook. We got this. This, <laughs> this is calves. We're sitting there riding a fucking hack squat Our machine. Our calves were yoked. <laughs> Absolutely yoked. That's one way to do it, right. I guess. Uh, that's one way. To, right? So it's like we just intuitively think that we have this programmed into us. I mean... Uh, you know, not not to take this too far, but it's like we think the same thing about sex and like anything else that we do naturally as human beings throughout the course of our life. We just think that we're the intelligent being and somehow this is instilled in us through centuries of evolution. Or the unintelligent being of I don't know anything, I'll never know anything, I have no idea what's going on ever. At least that's a better blank slate to start from, right? They're experts in things <laughs> for a reason. And the whole reason that we lean on phil's guidance or doug's guidance or ours or anyone else that's out here promoting training material is because we have the fucking reps we've already made these errors we've already suffered the pain of letting ego be our guide instead of intelligence right mm. and it really does take that eye-opening moment of like holy shit this machine is doing things that just don't make any sense to me whatsoever and i need to get to the bottom of that mm -hmm. that's the bluffing tree no one intuitively understands the bluffing tree. You have to extract game theory principles to their core and just get to the simple baselines of, okay, blockers have some relevance. 
that's a principle I can follow. You know, equity has some relevance. That's a principle I can follow. This in itself is what makes variable stock games much more difficult to study if you only look at it through a lens of playing a trainer through a script. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. if you're looking at MTTs, you say, okay, I want to play button big blind 20. Button big blind 20 is way different than button big blind 40, different than button big blind 50, you know? That, that's in part why, like, as frustrated as I am with the airball thing, it's like we play anywhere between 100 big blind stacks and 2,000 big blind stacks. So it's like, you know, two weeks, it's going to help them. It's going to close the gap. It's going to certainly lessen my edge, and I've probably had tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands in EV lost, but there's still edge out there, you know? Mm. Knowing how to play a thousand big blinds better than the next guy is worth a fucking lot. Yeah, the way I see poker nowadays, after a lot of the sim work and a lot of the studying and doing pretty well in the player pools that I have, have been in, it's you're effectively betting on your ability to extrapolate from the machine once you get that far. Where yeah. you know what baseline is, you know what the responses are, and if you know what the rules are, you are then allowed to potentially break them in ways you see fit. Yeah. The issue is it takes a very long time and hours and hands played and trial and error and looking at sim stuff, finding under and understanding heuristics as a whole to then start making that change of your strategy. And it's not an entire strategic overhaul overnight. Right. Sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes years. Like the way that I play now versus the way that I first started playing is completely fucking different. Right. And it should be. We talked about a four bet spot yesterday where, uh, you know, when you, when you study cash, this four bet spot of uh, hijack button big blind is generally going to be an SPR of like two post flop. Like one and a half. One and a half, yeah. So I had ace four suited as the four better, came ace jack eight, one of my suit, and I chose to check. And Landon's like, you know, this is clearly a range bet spot. Like we have to get after it. I go, the SPR was 12. Ah, <laughs> scary. Yeah. Right? So it's like, we, we're not in Kansas anymore, man. Like, we can't just have top pair <laughs> and, you know, find ways to, to get all the money. It, not only are you going to have more of a linear range due to the depth, but you're also just going to be against more linear of a range due to the depth. Like, I was against Jack 8 of Diamonds which certainly is a hand that doesn't exist at 100 or even 200 big blinds and maybe shouldn't exist at 1,000 big blinds. Not sure, but the fact is it does. Here we are. Right? Like, it does. Uh, I don't get punished if we're 100 big blinds deep and he chooses to call Jack-8 suited pre and outflop me on ace-Jack-8. It doesn't matter because so much money went in before the flop that I can't make any mistakes post, really. And, you know, his win rate when outflopping me is marginal. But when we're 12 pots deep and we play a fucking big one here because he outflopped me, now all of a sudden this hand having some sort of bingo effect to it is worth something, you know? And that's now a whole other caveat that needs to be navigated as depth presents itself. So Landon's point is incredibly important here where it's not about sitting down and finding some format and structure that you most often play and then just, you know, rote memorization of what will the machine do? What will the machine do? What will the machine do? And try to apply. That is if you're playing one specific game for your entire life in sure. under the same circumstances, right? Like you play a heads-up challenge and you get to play somebody 100 big lines deep every time. Yeah. There you go. Do that. Follow the machine. You're going to print. Yeah. 
But the problem is you'll never actually truly quote unquote become a poker player because our job is to chase EV, right? Like our sole purpose is to find the highest EV situations and pursue them with vigor. And it's, it's, <laughs> you would have to be a very privileged individual to find yourself in an arena where the highest EV situation always available is the one that you happen to be the most studied in, right? The highest EV situation from now until the end of my career is somehow, some way, just thousand big, well, actually that might, there might be something to that. <laughs> it might actually be thousand big blind, three blind cash with, with an ante. Listen, man. But nevertheless, like there's always going to be an evolution, Talk right? Talk enough shit on the internet and then maybe you <laughs> right, get that course. chance. But that's the point, right? I now have to learn heads up because there's a high opportunity there. At some point in my career, I had to study MTTs really hard because there was an opportunity there. Man, imagine if that's the 3D chess plays. Doug just talks all this shit because he knew he was going to get a heads-up challenge versus D-Nags. I was like, you know what? It's been worth it all these years. Fuck, man. I, I mean, yeah. Crazy. If uh, like, That's so much money there. There's so much money if, to play somebody in a format that you know is like the back of your hand. That's, the, that's why it's insane. <laughs> that's why it's insane. And that's why, like, uh, you know, I clap back saying, like, we have a seat for you, Bellagio, any day of the week because, you know, nobody's ducking you when it comes to playing ring. And he reframed it as, like, oh, okay, you and all your friends are going to come beat up on me. It's like, that, that's clearly not the point, man. Like, we could just cross book or do something like that that makes it 1v1. But the point is, is that it's a totally different fucking structure and one that you're certainly not very studied in. Now, I don't think Doug's losing in that game by any stretch. But I think that like, if I have edge, it's going to be there, not fucking playing hundred big blind cash heads up where he's an end boss. Yeah. You know, like nobody's, nobody's silly enough to believe their own hype, to think that they're, or maybe people are, but like nobody this far along as I am is dumb enough to think that in a format I've never studied, I'm just going to go out and take on anybody. Sometimes you're dumb enough and you give somebody money to do it. You know, that was a, <laughs> That was a long time ago. Man, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with me, dude? Jesus. We've come a long way since then, you know? You're operating under false pretense. If you had started that, if you had started that exact day, I think that... I would have been fine. I think the match would have at least came to a conclusion. Yeah, we would have been I don't right. know if you would have won or lost, but I think you would have at least played it to a conclusion. Yeah. Right? But, but like, giving me. him that much time... That, and again, like... It's time. Doubling back to the airball thing, it's like, that's, that's the perfect example. Like... Bill probably closed the nine big blind per hundred skill gap over those three months. Pretty quickly. Right? So it's like, okay, my skill gap over airball might not have been nine big blinds. And he doesn't get three months, but he gets like, you know, two and a half weeks. If it gets closed from like, call it six to two, that's a lot of fucking EV to lose. I thought your point yesterday was really, really, really important that people don't understand. Is like, if... If one person has a six big blind per hundred win rate in a heads up arena, then naturally the other person is losing six big blinds per hundred, right? There isn't going to be an even uh, linear path where as that person who's losing six big blinds per hundred gets better, that their loss rate stays fixed, right? We can't get better at the same at the same rate because the things that the person who's losing six big blinds per hundred at the things he's so the things he's so bad at are so fundamental <laughs> right because here, here's how it works right ready here's the heads up game and this is how it makes sense very very quickly if somebody's losing six big blinds per hundred and the other person's winning six big blinds per hundred if the person that's losing not only loses four big blinds per hundred the person that was winning six can't change their strategy to now win eight <laughs> 
Correct. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now if the person that was losing six is now winning one, the person that was winning before can't win eight. Right. You both can't win. Right, right. Exactly. It is it is very much zero sum. And to to emphasize that even more, what people don't understand is how much win rate comes from the sheer fundamentals. If you play somebody heads up that is fundamentally awful at, at poker and doesn't understand theory very well, then you are just making double digit big blind per hundred win rate. And that's not a that's not really a reflection of you being a great heads up player, right? The Sk second that they selection, right? The second they sure up their fundamentals, that win rate drops drastically, and there's very little you can do to now compound your edge, right? Like you can't suddenly just become Doug, and just like know the entire game tree. So ultimately, what happens is, yeah, the more time that passes where we are not actively playing, the less money I stand to earn, and that's fucking annoying. <laughs> Like, it's really, really frustrating and completely against the spirit of the bet of a guy who called me a scammer but can't hold his own. You know? Yeah. Hopefully he plays Saturday. Sunday. That's Sunday now? It was always Sunday. Okay. He announced oh. Saturday, but it was always the 16th. Oh, that's what, okay. We have the Academy Saturday. That's why I thought it was Saturday because I heard I'll see you Saturday, but yeah. yeah, that Saturday is actually Sunday. You playing two days this week? No, that, wow. well, well, I don't know. We're waiting. I'm waiting for Phil to, to make a ruling. He said he was going to let us know today. What, uh, what if that's the play? He says, I'll see you Saturday, and you know it's Sunday, but he said, no, I was going to play you Saturday, man. I, it's very clear in bold in the chat. The 16th and the 18th are available for me. And he very clearly said, I am not available on Tuesdays ever from now until eternity, uh, but I am free on the 16th, which is Sunday. So I'm going to get one session i guess but like i'm demanding 20 hours this week like he missed this past weekend we were not resigned to only playing on saturday sunday monday uh i'm hoping that obviously the arbitration falls in my favor but the the commitment was 20 hours a week not these three days per week and i think that whoever misses the days the onus is on them to find time to to reschedule not like online. immediately <laughs> yeah not online yeah like if you guys want to know how fucking fugazi this guy is, now all of a sudden he wants to make up the time online. Like that was the that was the counter offer. He goes, I can't play, I can't come to Vegas Tuesday through Friday, but I'll play you online right now. It's like, oh, you'll data scrape me early in the match for 20 hours. Yeah, yeah, of course you fucking will. Like, try harder to close this gap. This is so ridiculous to me. I can't believe that. I actually I, I, I can't mean I, believe, I can believe it. I, I can't totally believe, believe I'm it. surprised. Yeah. Is the problem. I thought that was the, the online thing was like the most absurd thing yet in terms of like his requests. Worse than having uh emotional support humans sit behind him? Well, okay. I it's I up there. Yeah, I think the emotional support human thing was <laughs> the most egregiously like less likely to happen. But the, from someone who challenged you to heads up live poker to then turn around and say, actually, maybe can we do it online? Mm. That was the one that made me go, Jesus, what is wrong with this guy? Like, I mean, the thing is, is that he truly thinks that everybody watching and listening is so dumb compared to him. <laughs> like, it's, it's honestly like when an eight-year-old tries to sneak the most obvious lie by you yeah. and like wraps it in these fancy, fancy packaging like uh you know compliment sandwich for the parents or whatever like oh i'm so sweet and innocent i would never do anything to to disobey you kind of thing where it's just like you as the 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 parent are just like kid i've been here i know what this is shut the fuck up that's him that's literally him 
where you know he thinks we're so dumb that we don't think that he wants to play online to scrape data. Mm-hmm. Happy we have a special surprise. Birthday to you. He's slowly Happy birthday to you. This is the brisket, isn't it? Happy <laughs> birthday, dear Landon. Wow. Happy birthday to you. It's a birthday pork butt. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Throw the candles out, man. Honestly, this no, is no, please don't. No, he's got to. No, we gotta eat that. We will eat it. <laughs> this is this is the most Please. thoughtful birthday quote unquote cake. And no one would ever do this for me. I would get fucking endless sweets. Let's go. Hey. He brought you meat, man. I'm listen, all, I'm only listen, in the bottom. I know this guy, and he listen. He he doesn't want a birthday cake. He wants a chunk of meat. That's right. So I brought you a chunk of meat you for did your it. birthday, man. You Happy birthday. He's trying to get you caked up, son. <laughs> Thank you. All the fixings, and everything are downstairs. We'll eat wow. after the show. It smells he, fucking great. He cooked. Yeah. Man. Cook. Yeah. Bro, bro cook. Bro he did, did cook. actually cook. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh man, what a fantastic birthday dinner for all of us. Yeah, I'm hungry. Can we get out of here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna end the show, so Wow, man. <laughs> that is indeed a piece of meat, Will Jaffe. That is mm-hmm. a pork butt with... Uh, it's been smoking for 14 hours. Wow. Put it on last night. Fucking legend. Yep. I was like, this would be perfect, you know? Put some candles in it, have you blow it out. Incredible. Let, let, me, let me just say, you know, it's been a good two and a half years, and I just want to thank you guys, obviously you guys here, and audience for giving my dumbass a place to talk shit, you know, be myself, have memes, memes, you like me, you don't like me, is what it is, but... <laughs> I'm here for it all. 24, thank baby. You. 24. Thank Let's you. We're, ha- we're happy to see you grow in front of our eyes. Mm-hmm. Hunt, thank you as always for joining us today on another Strat Chat. Happy Next week, here. hopefully, we'll be discussing some heads up again, uh, as I imagine we'll play between now and then. Um, that's going to do it for us. Let the people know about the free month. Oh, how could I forget, guys? I'm so sorry. <laughs> if you haven't already, please take advantage of Nick Airball's sickness. Uh, he is doing all the things for you, uh, go ahead and head to solvefory.io, use code SICKDAY to get a free month of training plus an additional two-week free trial. So when you sign up, you'll see uh, that you save the $50 sign-up fee as well as a two-week free trial period. Go ahead and enjoy all the wonderful things we have to offer there, including Poker Out Loud. That's right. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Most of the same crew. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Happy birthday to Landon. We'll see you guys then. Let's eat it.